from the heart of the party here in Dallas, Texas. Welcome to the Sooner the Better podcast. All right. I don't know about that one, but definitely going to put that in there. So on that note, welcome everybody. Welcome Sooner fans to episode two of the Sooner the Better podcast. Um, thanks to everybody who turned in for week tuned in for week one. It was our first episode, so we were kind of working through the kinks just a little bit, and uh, I think it pre- went pretty I'm well. Not gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie, it was rough. It was a little rough. We had we had yep. some patches. There were some yep. patchy areas, but you know what? You get through it. We're better for it, and here we are, yes. week two. Perseverance. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, we had a, it, it was a little long, but we had a lot to cover, so. Um, we got it done. We got it done. Uh, we're your hosts, the infamous Grimes Brothers. I'm Jackson. He's Blake. Say what's up, Blake. What's up, Blake? Yep. And uh, in today's episode, we're just going to kind of cover everything that has to do with the future looking forward with the OU football program and um, some team developments, things going on with the 2023 recruiting class. And just go over some new business. So today's going to be definitely more casual episode since we're not having to catch you all up. So let's get right into it with segment one, new business. Perry on Winfrey, Senior Bowl MVP. Did you, uh, did you happen to catch any of that game? I saw the highlights. I did not watch the actual game. Um, but he looked like a stud. Absolute stud. Yeah, he he is that he uh, even in the even in the practices before the games, because I mean, they do like a full week of prep. He was just dominating one on ones, looked so much stronger than all the other tackles and then came into this game and just absolutely put on a show and definitely raised his draft stock. Um, So just to recap, in the 2021 season, he had five and a half sacks, 11 tackles for loss just in the Reese's Senior Bowl, two sacks three tackles for loss, wins MVP, looks better than any other defensive player on the field, and just all around made himself a absolute shit ton of money. He did. He definitely upped his draft stock a ton. You know, before he was projected to be somewhere about mid-third round, um, mm-hmm. definitely increased his draft stock quite a bit. Um, a lot of people have noted that, you know, he has flashes where he looks like that, and I think we, we noticed that in the season. He had flashes where he looked super dominant, but um, he does have some stretches where he'll kind of go invisible. Um, he tends to rush mm-hmm. a little high. Um, you know, he in the senior bowl, he was basically unblockable, that no one could stop him. Yep. Yeah, so, yeah, on the, on the note of, like, the flashes, a lot of people, a lot of people, uh, I know you fans talked about that throughout the season, flashes. I don't know that I necessarily saw that. I think he'd always been – a really, really dominant tackle. The thing is, it's just a lot of teams made it a priority to double team him because when you have a gigantic dominant tackle like that, they'd rather, you know, not focus on the ends and let them, you know, form that pocket as opposed to just having a guy like Perry on, you know, bulldoze his way through the entire offensive line and sack the quarterback. One thing I did see from him throughout the season was a lot of – he had a tendency to overshoot. Um, but in the Reese's Senior Bowl, man, he was locked on like a damn heat-seeking missile. Like, he was straight for the quarterback, making diving tackles. Um, so he definitely looked a lot better in the Senior Bowl than he did just uh, throughout the regular season this year. So, um, 
one thing I did want to note, uh, if you guys don't know this already, me and Blake are from Dallas, Texas, so we're big Cowboys fans. Um, CBS actually had him projected at pick number 23, right above N'Kobe Dean, the amazing linebacker from the University of Georgia. And guess who has pick number 24? Who? The, the Dallas Cowboys. So oh, shit. Hoping, oh, shit. Hoping, yeah, here's hoping that Perrion falls one more spot than he's projected to so that we can pick him up and have an even more dominant defensive line. Yeah, I'm hoping I'm, that happens. What I'm seeing a lot from the from the draft projections, there, there's some people who did move him up to the to the first round. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people still don't have him on on their first on their first round board, though. Um, so, I mean, really, it's this is this has been probably the first draft that I've seen in a while where everybody's board looks entirely mm-hmm. different. No one has the exact same board. Um, so there's really a lot up in the air. I think anything could happen. Uh, he could land at the Cowboys. He could go way earlier. He could end up not even making it out in the first round. So it'd be interesting yep. to to watch and see. Yep, which I, I can see. I think it's definitely warranted to put him, like, early, mid-second round. But just the level of dominance he had in that game, it's hard for me to sit here and say that there's a tackle that's better than him um, in this year's draft class. All right, and then moving on. So we have a lot of, a lot has happened since last week. Uh, the biggest news being Levius Overton, the number one rated recruit in the 2023 class, um, listed as a defensive tackle, but I'm sorry, defensive end, but this is a guy that you pack, you know, maybe 10, 15 extra pounds on him. He could play either position, tackle or in. He has reclassified to the class of 2022 and OU has been listed in his top five amongst uh, Oregon, Ohio state, Georgia, and A&M. Most people have him crystal balled to go to A&M, but we've actually gotten some fantastic news. He is actually a package deal now with his brother, Micaiah, I think is how you pronounce it, who registered at Liberty last year, didn't play a single snap. So don't really have a lot of information on him in terms of, how good of a football player he is, but they just took a visit to Oklahoma or or scheduled to take a visit to Oklahoma in, I think, I think next month. And we offered the brother a scholarship, which is something that A&M has yet to do because I don't think they have enough scholarships to give. Yeah. I mean, this, this kid gets my nipples hard. He really does. Um, He's he's going to be an absolute beast right now. From what I'm seeing, as far as projections, he's leaning slightly towards A&M, but some people have mm-hmm. it as a 50 50 split at this point between us and them. Um, I don't get and I, I, We're going to talk about it later when we get into the Jimbo story, mm-hmm. but I don't really see the appeal of A&M. I mean, we're both we're both from Texas. We live in Texas. A and M's like a cult down here. It's it's yeah. a weird, weird, weird environment. I don't know how someone who was not raised in that could go see that and be like, "Oh, this is this is where I want to be," because it's a weird place. It's a very strange mm-hmm. place. Um, I don't see how you choose A and M over us. That's just my opinion. I think you know you look at the the sponsorship opportunities, the NIL deals with Jordan mm-hmm. Brand, um, our facilities, the culture around Norman. Uh, to me, it's a no-brainer, it's, and especially if we can get his brother as well. You know, even if he doesn't yeah. 
even if he doesn't start it down, if, if that's what we have to do to, to land a five-star this class, like, let's, let's do it. Let's get it done. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's also to me a matter of depth. I mean, and and just pulled in and I mean, they have, I believe two five-star defensive linemen and four or five, four-star defensive linemen. So he, he'd be going to a school where, you know, it's just an unnecessary level of competition um, especially if they aren't able to offer his brother, uh, you know, a full scholarship and offer him a preferred walk-on or something like that. I think it gets a lot more interesting in our favor for him to come to Oklahoma, especially with uh, the new coaching staff and how defensive-minded we're going to be. Um, Definitely. The only thing is, though, Dad has a theory. For the, our Pops guys went to the University of Oklahoma, has been watching Oklahoma football a lot longer than us, loves the program. But he is the world's biggest pessimist when it comes to OU recruiting, OU playing, anything that OU does. Um, he, he, he's a huge pessimist about it. His theory is that A&M is going to find some way to come in and either offer to pay for the brother's college or, um, you know, offer even the brother some insane NIL package, even if they're not able to offer him a scholarship. And they're going to scoop him up. But he also thinks that Lebius Overton, the reason he even reclassified in the first place, is so that he can get in on this huge NIL package that A&M's put together before any type of regulations are slapped on uh, this NIL deal, which I could see as a possibility. But at the same time, it's like, I think above all else, these guys want to play. And I think he has the best opportunity to do that at OU. Um, and he also has a connection to Kale Gundy. His dad played O-line at the University of Oklahoma under quarterback. Kale Gundy, so this thing is looking really, really good for us. Yes, sir. Yep, and uh, just on the brother, I mean, obviously we don't have a whole lot of film on him or a whole lot of information, but, I mean, he's 6'3", 300 pounds, if that means anything. Maybe he doesn't have the skill, but um, I mean, at least he, he has the size. He, he, he can play practice squad. He can, he can go get water and pick up, you know, equipment after practice i mean whatever whatever he's got to do so that we can get his brother like it doesn't matter yeah, like just yeah, just exactly make, make him feel included it's like yeah. it's like when you're a kid and i mean I, I can relate to this i don't know if you can because you were the the little brother in the situation but you know when mom's like you're like oh, i want to go play with my friends They're like okay but your little brother's got to go and so you just yeah. like have him over there like building stuff with rocks while you and your friends are actually playing that's what we can do with his brother just have him yeah. build stuff with yeah. rocks Yep, but in this case, his brother's actually older, so it's it's oh. it's flipped. Yeah, well, <laughs> but yeah, but, but I, 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 yeah, I get your point. I get your point. I get your point. Um, but yeah, man, this dude would definitely. I'd expect a decision within the next week, but this guy would definitely be a very big, tasty cherry on top of the recruiting class that we pulled in in twenty twenty two. Something that I just wanted to talk about real quick, just because I think it is super. Super damn lame. Um, Brent Venables has ordered team suits, matching team suits that the entire roster will be wearing uh, every game day, regardless of whether we're traveling at home. So no more guys dressing up how they want to. They're going to be wearing matching suits. I just wanted to get your take on this. I think it's super fucking lame. Uh, I don't really care if they come in dressed like choir boys as long as they play like some dogs on the field, but uh, yeah, I was not. I'm I mean, not a fan of the team suits. I mean, I'm I'm sure what Brent Venables is trying to do is establish a a certain culture 
right? Have a team yep. mentality. No one guy is bigger than the team. If we all come in looking the same, if we're all uniform the entire time, we're going to have that camaraderie build. You know, if, if it's it's something that he probably read in like a, a self-help book or a Gary Vee book, I feel like yeah. that's something Gary Vee would do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, I, I believe they did it at Clemson too. I I, I believe I remember always watching the Clemson roster yeah. walk in. Which I don't know that they were matching suits, but everybody was kind of, you know, dappered up as they were walking in, which I don't really care. But it's like at the same time, you know, you want them to express a little bit of individualism, you know, maybe maybe let them wear some chains or some like accessories or something like that. Not look, you know, completely fucking nerdy. I don't mind it. I mean, I get it. I get the whole mentality yeah. of like, let's let's come. In, we're, we're here to do a job. Let's dress like we're going to go do a job. Yeah, it also hammers home that just attention to detail mindset, which apparently they've been doing in the workouts too. Schmitty's been making them. You know, they have a set dress code for every single workout. If they come wearing the wrong thing, they get kicked out of workout. They got to come back in the right clothes. So it just kind of hammers field or attention to detail that hopefully well, goes on to the field. And discipline, like I said, we talked about it last episode. Our one of our biggest issues this past season was a lack of discipline. And under Lincoln Riley, yeah. there was no discipline. This is, uh, I mean, that's it's like the military. Why does everyone wear the same uniform? Everyone does everything together. Everything is uniform because it it builds discipline. Exactly, exactly. And then um, moving on, uh, obviously, we just talked about A and M and the recruiting battle for Lebius Overton. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Jimbo Fisher because he's been pissing me off. He's been pissing me off. He's got beef with Lane Kiffin. He's got beef with Nick Saban. He's got beef with every other coach in college football um, simply because he is just the biggest, sleaziest liar to ever exist. Um, just a little background if, for those of you that haven't been keeping up. I'm sure everybody has. A&M just recruited a historic recruiting class, the, the best recruiting class of all time in history. They, they have something like seven five stars or some six or seven five stars, something ridiculous like that. And it wasn't necessarily other coaches criticizing him. They were just pointing out the fact that the gates opening on all this NIL stuff is what allowed him to recruit like this is because they can pay more. Um, and Jimbo Fisher threw a bunch of other guys under the bus, basically insistent that NIL had nothing to do with his recruiting class, which I'm not saying it had everything to do with his recruiting class, but it definitely didn't have nothing to do. Um, But plain and simple, man, he paid for it. He paid for it. No one's buying your bullshit. You paid for the recruiting class. Which to me is fine. And I think we're going to get into a really, really interesting space in the next five years when, and I think it's funny because I I read something where between between the transfer portal and the NIL deals, you're going to have a lot of shady stuff come together. Mm-hmm. And Lincoln Riley was like, oh, we need to regulate the transfer portal and how NIL can be. It's like, well, you're, you're fucking want to talk. Like, yeah, yeah. That's how yeah. you took our that, that, entire That pissed a lot of OU fans year. off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I mean, I think it's going to be very interesting because you're going to have a couple of years where the schools that are able to pay a lot of money – I mean, I think – as of right now as well, I think Notre Dame currently has the top rated class for 2023. These schools with these massive endowment funds and these, and these, these huge um, donors are, are going to be able to put together these, these package deals that used to be hidden amongst boosters. Like you kind of had to hide your tracks. 
right. now it's it's just wide open because it doesn't matter. There's no yeah. there's no there's no penalties for it. So these schools that have these massive massive donors and these big endowment funds are going to be able to just pour tons of money into building these top class programs. Right. Which look, I mean, if that's the game, it's not like OU doesn't have money. We got plenty of money. Like, but we need to do that. We need to play the game. We can't be trying to play by old rules and compete in a, in a completely different game. Like, we're exactly. going to have to keep up with the times. Once it becomes regulated, okay, this is how much directly that the school can put into the NIL deals or that it has to go through an agent. or so. They're going to have to come up with something. But, right. but as for now, we need, to, we need to put our hand in the pot. We need to, to dig into our, 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 our big, vast pool of funds and start yeah. funneling some of that money to some of these five-star kids that – you know, they, they want to get paid. And why wouldn't you want to get paid? I mean, you're, if you're a star, if you're going to be bringing in that kind of revenue to a program, you should get paid. And so we need to start, we need to start paying. Yeah, uh, I agree. I mean, it's nothing to be ashamed about. Again, it's, it's the new world order, but from a coaching perspective, it's like, I don't think anybody expected Jimbo to apologize. I didn't expect him to apologize. I don't expect him to even admit that he did it, but don't say like explicitly that you didn't do it when everybody knows that you did college football fans are not stupid. Like we can connect two dots. It is not a coincidence that you recruited the best recruiting class ever in the, in the same year that the NIL gates happened to open and at a school that gets more program donation money, program donor money than any college football program in the country. Like we're, we're not stupid. We see through your ruse. And I think it's ego driven. I think the reason he refuses to admit it is because he wants people to think that he recruited this class because of his coaching talents. He's not a talented coach. This is my hot take for the day, Blake. Jimbo Fisher is the worst college football coach with a national championship. The worst. The worst. He, he's good. He discovered Jameis Winston. I, I don't buy it. I don't think Jimbo Fisher is a talented coach. And I think this recruiting class and I hope you agree, is his magnum opus. Aside from his national championship, I guess, this is his greatest college football coaching accomplishment ever, right? Do you agree? Yeah. Well, I mean, because right. he's not going to he's not gonna win a natty at A&M. It's just right. not going to happen. I'm yeah. sorry. He's, but, he, he, can, he can have the best class four years in a row. He's not beating Bama or Georgia. It's just – it's yeah. not going to – But not, that's not, the thing, though. Like, it's not going to happen. Yeah, but that's the thing is now that's the expectation, right? I think the I think the minimum expectation for Jimbo is to make a playoff in the next two years, which for him I still don't think is realistic, even with this recruiting class. But that's kind of what scares the shit out of me, because if he can't do it, he's gone, and that opens up so like so much free cash and opportunity for A and M to go cherry pick any coach that they want that actually knows how to run and build a program and bring them in and turn A&M with the talent it has into a monster. And that's what a monster that we'll have to compete with very soon. And that's what scares me, not Jimbo Fisher himself, but what comes when Jimbo Fisher fails. Yeah. I mean, look, when we move over to the sec, we're going to have plenty of monster programs with great coaches and virtually limitless budgets and, top recruiting classes that we're going to have to compete against. So we're just going to have to be able – and, again, there's no reason why we can't do that as well. We're a historic program. We have tons of money. I mean, it's – there's no reason why we can't 
do the same thing. We just need to play the same game. Right. Yeah. Any anything else on the uh, the Jimbo Fisher nah. big money saga? Yeah. No. Nah. I'm done with it too. I just I just had to get that off my chest. Um, so moving. <laughs> Um, a few preferred walk-ons and JUCO transfers that we're going to have coming in. Running back, Tui Walker. He is 5'9", 190. Uh, played in 11 games last year, 875 yards, eight touchdowns. So a little bit shorter. 190 is not a bad weight, but he – I mean, you look at the pictures of him, he just looks jacked. Like, he just looks like a physical, hard-nosed running back. Yeah, so this kid is interesting. Um, he was actually recruited directly by DeMarco. Um, he has, he has ties. I can't remember if he's, he's from Las Vegas or he played in Las Vegas, but, um, DeMarco went to one of his contacts and basically said, I want another kid from Vegas on our squad. Who do you have? Who do you know? Who's the best running back in Vegas? And he was pointed to this kid. Um, he bounced around to a bunch of different, uh, like prep, prep colleges and junior colleges and you know I mean never I I think he wasn't even really a a true running back until like a year or two ago and then he finally settled into the position Um, but he also has ties to uh, Ramondre Stevenson and so Mm -hmm. he talked to Ramondre and said you know what's the program like we know who DeMarco is as a player who is he as a coach what's the program like and Ramondre was actually the one that sold him to uh to come in and, and, and play for us so it'll be it'll be interesting i mean it never hurts to be super deep at yeah. running back never hurts to be deep at running back yeah and then on demarco like that's that's the beautiful thing about having a position coach that not only played that position but played that position at the university he works at oh yeah is being able to recognize talent that you know people haven't put a grade on Right. It's just being able to look at a guy and say, yeah, this guy's going to be able to do good things at the University of Oklahoma and not have to look at a composite rating. Look at how many stars the guy has. Um, so having guys like that and that talent recognition is really, really helpful. And just to DeMarco overall as a recruiter. And yeah, we well, have... I mean, it helps to have a guy that it, it like DeMarco that he not only played in the league, but he was he was good in the league. And so yeah. pe- people know who he is as a player. He has a he has a presence to him that can draw kids in that maybe would never consider going to Oklahoma. If they're from the West coast or out East, he can, he can kind of be that draw that brings him in. Yep. Yep. And he was a cowboy. Yeah. me some DeMarco Murray. Uh, yeah. And then we have two wide. Davion one who was actually on a full scholarship. Um, but then received his preferred walk-on. Hey, wait, Jay. Okay, yeah, we just disconnected for a second. Yeah, you were you're, you're, you're cutting in and out. Yeah, you're. Yep. Okay, cool. Yeah, and then uh, so two wide receivers, uh, Davion Woolen, who's actually a decommitment from Army. He had a full scholarship to go there, and then received a preferred walk-on that he decided to accept at OU. He's six three, one eighty-five, and then Gavin Freeman who is a three-star that had offers from some smaller schools as well as the service academies like Eric, um, but then actually committed to Texas Tech and then decommitted to also take his preferred walk-on at OU, uh, 5'9", 170, and people are starting to call him Wes Welker 2.0. Small white receiver from Tech, well, not from Tech, but decommitted from Tech. Um, I think both those guys have the potential to be really solid. I haven't 
seen much on him because there's, I mean, obviously with less and less film, the less highly rated a guy is, but I've heard really, really good things. Yep. Yeah, indeed. I, I haven't seen much on him either. I honestly, I tried to research him. I couldn't even find much on him. Um, I think that's kind of, kind of the, the way that it goes though, when you start getting yep. to these players that are, that are walk-ons, there's not much film mm-hmm. on them. There's not much hype. And so it's, it's really just going to come down to how well our staff is able to develop them, which I think we're going to be in a great position to do that. And, and we'll see, I mean, you never know who's going to, who's going to step up and be, you know, a, a real contributor. And so any one of these guys could potentially do that. Yeah. And, and that's, that's one of the things I love about these preferred walk-on guys is, or, the, or not necessarily pre- preferred walk-ons, but guys that aren't as highly recruited out of high school because the less highly touted you are, the less film people are going to put out of you, the less people are going to do that heavy lifting in your recruiting process for you. So they're largely responsible for, you know, putting their own film out there and marketing themselves. So they just have that, they just have that extra edge to them and that chip on their shoulder. So they usually come in and do really good things. Definitely. And, and with a lot of those kids, what it can be is maybe they develop late. Um, there's a lot of kids that, you know, they don't really hit that man puberty until they're 20 years old. And mm-hmm. so all they need is a few years to work with a college level top tier strength and conditioning coach, or maybe they didn't have good position coaches at the high school that they went to because they didn't go to a, an IMG or, you know, a Bishop Gorman. So they just need a college level position coach to fix their technique and then they end up being monsters and then you see that see that a ton kids that end up going to smaller schools or who or weren't, weren't big standouts in the um, their recruiting composite rating but then they are able to develop throughout college and they're absolute monsters in the league yeah yeah I agree uh, and then moving on 2023 recruiting class so we have four commitments so far which puts us at third in the Big 12. And I, I can't even remember what we're at nationally, but obviously it's still super early. I really just wanted to add this segment in so that we could talk about Jackson Arnold because um, I'm really, really excited about that guy. He is a uh, four-star quarterback, the second-ranked dual-threat quarterback in the 2023 class from Denton Geyer here in Texas. Um, I was just – I was mostly excited at first because it just got us out of that stupid-ass Arch Manning sweepstakes. Um, I think I, we can I, both – I think we can both agree that Arch Manning is overrated just I mean, because, of, yep. because of who he is and who his family is. I mean, I think he's – I could be wrong. I believe he's the highest – composite rated player like i think he's a, a nine yep. nine like a point nine 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 like yep. like that's that's a perfect perfect he's, player he is the number one overall recruit in 2023 yeah i you know i i think he's probably going to be great i mean he's got it in his blood but i don't i from what i've seen from arch manning there's nothing that makes me think that he's going to be just you know, like a a Johnny Manziel or someone who's just complete, or Cam Newton in college, like someone who's just completely yep. unstoppable because he's so much bigger and so much more athletic and so much faster than everybody. I just I don't see that. I think he'll be a good pocket quarterback, um, and you know he'll go to Alabama. He'll probably win a national championship, and it, it'll be what it is. But yeah, I I don't get the hype. 
Yeah, I, I mean, he's got he's got a good good arm. I'm not going to say he has, like, an elite-level arm. And, I mean, people are, like, you know, super – everybody's been talking about his, like, ability to run and his running talents just because that's something that his, you know, two uncles never had. But, I mean, he's not – He's not a great runner either. Uh, I'm definitely much more excited about – and, you know, I wasn't mad that we offered him. Had we gotten him, fantastic. No, you take him, yeah. But, uh, I mean, he, he it, it was basically just a – I mean, he discarded the, the OU offer almost as soon as it came. So, uh, we were never really in that, and I'm definitely more excited about Jackson Arnold than I would have been about him. This dude – this is another hot take for the day. Baker Mayfield 2.0. Like – Elite ball placement makes pro level plays like fitting balls into these tight windows moves really well. Not an elite runner. Baker wasn't an elite runner either, but you know, moves with some get up and go and makes chippy, you know, college level plays. And even kind of looks like Baker. If he just, you know, cuts his hair a little bit, grows out a little bit of a beard, gets that headband going. Um, and he's got like, he's got that, you know, kind of sidearm, like, like baseball or javelin, like Patrick Mahomes, Baker Mayfield type throw. So just a lot of things to like about this dude. Yeah, he's uh, he's a bit bigger than Baker. Um, he's got he's got decent size for a quarterback. Uh, he you know, he's got a good arm. He's good velocity. Um, he can throw to multiple levels. He's got good touch. Um, I think, you know, he'll be a great addition to the quarterback room. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I am. I'm really excited. I could see him. I mean, I know like the pecking order as it stands right now is looking like Dylan Gabriel this year, Nick Evers getting his shot after Dylan Gabriel graduates and then Jackson Arnold playing under Nick Evers. But I could see him being a dude that competes with Nick Evers very, very closely. So definitely excited to see what this dude can do at OU. And then we have Ashton Cozart, um, wide receiver out of Flower Mound, 6'3", 190. Um, pretty much the exact same build as Jaden Gibson, who we have coming in this year. Very similar style of play. Um, just not the fastest guy, but fast enough, tall, good route runner, can get up and get the ball, get vertical. So this dude will definitely be solid as well. And then Joshua Bates, inside O-lineman. Haven't really seen much on him. Hard to find film on him as well. Just hard to find film on uh, tackles in general. Yeah, I'm sorry, guards, but um, him being a three-star, kind of hard to do research on him. But I'm sure he'll be great. I mean, if the OU staff trusts him, I trust him. And then we have Eric McCarty, 6'2", 180, white running back. Um, I like not, it. Mean anything, but, um, I like it. That, was, that was your first point on the outline that you sent me was Eric McCarty, white running back. Well, dude, because, like, <laughs> if, you, if you think about it, it's like, I mean, Christian, I mean, I'm not saying he's going to be a Christian McCaffrey type, but to – and this isn't like I, – I feel like it's more of a cultural thing than it is like athletic ability thing, but it's just like you don't see a lot of white guys like focus on that position. So it's like really rare to see a white running back, especially at the college level. It's like I don't even know what to compare it to. But, yeah, I just I just thought it was relevant to mention. <laughs> But yeah, yeah. Um, any any other notes on the twenty three class? No, I mean it's it's early um, mm-hmm. right now. I think we were so focused on we were so so focused on that 
I'm making sure we got our 2022 class together um, and yep. kind of doing damage control from the, the mess that the, that the bitch out West left us that I don't know that there's necessarily been a whole ton of focus put on the 2023 class. I'm sure during the year, um, you know, we'll have plenty of them visit and we'll start to ramp that up. But yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's early. Um, so right now, like you said, we're, third in the big 12 we're 15th nat uh nationally i think yep. you know obviously that will that will go higher once we get some more people on the board yep and i mean i i don't i don't i don't put too much stake in in the uh in the overall recruitment class rankings or even really the the, the conference rankings like we're always going to be rated below Texas when it comes to recruiting classes. Maybe not in the future under the new regime, but, I mean, we, we've been ranked below Texas in recruiting for the last 10 years, um, and they still can't beat us. So, still well, not concerned about that. Their organization's a dumpster fire. It's still going to oh. be a dumpster fire. It'll be a dumpster, a dumpster They'll end up being a dumpster fire in the SEC. They'll be, you know, competing against Vanderbilt for worst team in the league. Yep. And it's 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 a dumpster fire, but it's a dumpster fire that can afford to throw a lot of money at people. Yeah. All right. Yep. And then uh, so we're moving on to our main segment of the episode. We're going to talk a little bit about potential lineups and what we're going to see from certain players at certain positions and how we think the units are going to look um, based on the personnel that we have this year. And then we'll get into who we think our team MVPs are going to be this year and some honorable mentions. So jumping first, right into it. Uh, first, a word from our sponsor. Uh, yeah, we don't, we don't have a sponsor. Um, oh, well, we're, we're sponsored by me. Anyway, moving on. We're going to start with the offense. Uh, QB, this is an obvious one. Dylan Gabriel is going to be the starter. Jeff Lebby said as much in the most recent press conference we've had. So not going to be any competition there. He'll be starting every game this year. And I think me and you are equally as excited to see this dude play. So I'm very excited. Um, I think it's good, though. We do have Nick Evers as a backup just in case Dylan yeah. does get hurt. He has gotten hurt before. I don't know that I would go so far to say that he's super injury prone, but he yeah, I mean injured. he's he's not he. I mean, three year starter at UCF, and it wasn't like a it wasn't like a tendon type thing. It wasn't a it was a broken clavicle from taking a hit. So yeah, um, it's not one of those things where he's just his body's just breaking down as he's as he's moving around the field. So, <clears throat> but no, I, I think I think Ralph Rucker going to give him a real run for his money though. I, I don't I don't know. And then running back, I I think Marcus Major. I think the consensus among most people is Eric Gray, but I saw a lot more things in just like the pure run game from Marcus Major last year in terms of like squeezing yardage out of plays. I think I think I think Eric Gray is probably the better receiving back. Yeah. So use him as like a specialist, but I think Marcus Major will be getting the majority of the snaps next year if I had to put money on it. I mean, here's a good thing about the way, especially moving towards a levy offense, which is going to be a bit more run heavy. We'll utilize both of them plenty. And there, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we also utilized, um, you know, Sawchuck maybe a little bit in, mm -hmm. certain, in certain sets. The good thing about running back, it's, it's always good to be deep because 
each of them are going to have their own style. Each of them are going to have situations where that style or their frame or their speed is going to be more beneficial. And so it's always good to have um, a, a solid, solid back and core. Yeah. Yep. And then uh wide receiver. So my picks for wide receiver, um, obviously it's all, you know, dependent on, you know, what kind of set we're running. So Mims, obviously, um, Theo Weiss, and then Drake Stoops slash Brian Darby were my starting receiver picks. Um, I know a lot of people would think Jaleel Farouk over Brian Darby, but in my opinion, as like a true wideout, I saw a lot more potential from Brian Darby. Because, I mean, Jaleel Farouk had, had some good moments throughout the season, but the highlight of his season was literally just those two wide receiver screens that he had in the Alamo Bowl where he just kind of gutted the defense. But that was when I mean, we were already – we were gashing him everywhere. So, I mean, right. obviously he's a really, really good receiver. Um, I just see Brian Darby being the better weapon just because of how he's able to get deep down the field and make some tough catches, especially if we're going to let Dylan Gabriel let that thing fly. So, those were my four picks. I don't know if you have somebody different on there. No, I mean, I think I think what I'm – probably looking at is you have Weiss and like a, an X position. Uh, Mims is the Y receiver and then Stoops is your Z. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think those are, those are going to be our three main guys. Uh, Cody Jackson, I think we'll get uh, some, some looks at the Y mm-hmm. spot um, and Trevon West at the X. But um, yeah, I mean, fr- from what you said, I, I think those, those three guys are probably going to be it. I think there will be a solid receiving core for Dylan Gabriel to throw to. And I believe that they should be able to get some good separation um, because we're going to put them in a position where they're not going to be facing as many, you know, eight dropping back into coverage because we're going to be able to run the ball more effectively. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's, that's the hope, right? Is that we're beating, we're beating these big 12 teams so bad that everybody gets some snaps. So, yeah, that's the hope is that we get to see a little bit of everybody. And then moving on to fullback tight end. So we're we're they basically taken the fullback title out of that position room. So it's it's really just tight ends, but it, it same role essentially. Um so starting obviously is gonna be Braden Willis. Yep. Um that dude doesn't drop balls. He blocks extremely well um i'm talking i'm going to talk about him a little bit later in the episode when we're talking about team mvps i spoiler alert i don't have him as my offensive team mvp but uh i'm definitely going to give him an honorable mention because he's just he, he does what he needs to do man he's a solid role player and uh, i think he's going to get a lot more i think he's going to be really really dangerous with uh getting more playing time this year which he's going to not having jeremiah hall starting above him and definitely. then and then uh o-line i honestly I didn't want to touch this one because I, I don't know. Um, obviously, I think the transfer that's coming in from Cal, McCade Mattier, is, I, I, it's either Mattier or Mattier. Um, so I, I went with the more French, the more European, one. yeah, the more European pronunciation. Mattel. Yeah, that's, that's I, probably I, what it is. It's probably Mattel. Mattel. I, I doubt he says it like that though. He looks like a big country boy, long ass <laughs> hair. But yeah, uh, it's probably it's probably Mater then. Mater, yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I he'll definitely start at tackle. Obviously, 
Conjul, and then uh, Andrew Rain will probably be back at center. Um, but I just don't know, man. Like, we have so many transfers coming in. Um, and then Jake Taylor, the the kid coming out of coming from Bishop Gorman, this is going to be his freshman year. But I definitely see him having potential to earn a starting job at tackle. So I don't even know, man. I didn't I didn't really want to make predictions on this one until I saw the spring game, which uh, I already have tickets to. By the way, tickets to the spring game. Got our hotel booked, dinner reservation. So excited nice. to see that in April. All right, moving on to the defense. The defensive line. I have Redmond starting at tackle, uh, and then on the oh. edges, Ethan Downs and Jeff Johnson. And then, assuming we're if we run a four man front, um, Redmond, Downs, Johnson, and Lalu. Mm, okay, so yeah, I think for me the biggest the biggest competition is going to be between um, seeing what Lalu could do. And then um, I'm surprised you didn't have uh, I didn't I'm surprised you didn't have Reggie Grimes our our namesake over uh, starting it in imposition. I Reggie Grimes, I, obviously. I, I mean, I love everybody on the OU roster. Really solid player. I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet on him winning the starting job over one of these transfer guys. Um, obviously he's going to get his, like he's, he's going to yeah. get his rotations, but um, we're bringing these, we're bringing these guys, these transfer guys in for a reason. And I mean, Reggie Grimes didn't see a whole lot of action last year. Um, so I think just in terms of talent wise, like putting our best foot forward uh, this upcoming season, I think, I think those four guys are the ones to go with. And that, 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 those would be my picks if I was, right. uh, if I was in charge of the decision. Um, and then moving on, outside linebacker. Uh, I think the the two starters are pretty obvious, Danny Stuntsman and David Aguebu. Um David Aguebu was a staple of that defense last year playing on the outside. And then Danny Stuntsman, the only reason he didn't see more playing time is just because obviously we have Nick Benito out there on the edge who, you know, should have been an all-Big 12 player and uh, – you know, he's going to be playing in the NFL here very soon. But Danny Stuntsman, really, really good player. David Aguebu, really, really good player. But I would like to see Jaron Kanick play a considerable amount of snaps on the outside. Um, one thing that I'm really excited for is that the way Venable's defense worked at Clemson, um, they would have one of the guys on the outside almost play like a hybrid edge and then nickel when playing in coverage. And he's yeah. one of those guys that's big enough to rush off the edge but he's also fast enough to go out there and play in zone or man coverage, um, whatever needs to be done. So just kind of be able to let him kind of showcase what he can do. Cause it's like, I mean, we talked about it last episode. We think this is going to be one of the best guys of this recruiting class. Definitely. Any more on outside linebacker? Any, any hot takes? No hot takes. Zero, zero hot takes. Zero hot takes. I like it. Means I got it right. Uh, inside linebacker, Deshaun White's coming back again. Another dude that was a staple. Uh, had a few takeaways. I can't remember. I, I don't think I, I looked into his into his tackling statistics, but this was a dude that was you know pretty much involved in every play. 
Shane Witter got limited snaps, but he actually was really, really efficient with the time that he got on the field. Uh, so I see those two being the two starters at inside linebacker. And again, obviously, this is more than 11 players, but this is assuming we're going to be running different formations, different schemes. Um, and then I'd also like to see Kobe McKenzie get considerable amount of snaps too, just because he's another highly touted guy that I think could make an instant impact coming as a, as a freshman. Yep. Hot takes? No hot takes. Hot takes? No hot takes. All right. Got zero hot takes. That means I'm on the rails. I'm on track. All right. And then cornerback, this one was actually pretty difficult because um, obviously we have the three transfers coming in and we have a really, really good quarterback class with Gentry, Gentry Williams, Robert Spears Jennings, and Jaden Rowe coming in. Uh, but I went with, you know, the three vets, Trey Morrison, the dude transferring in from North Carolina, Woody Washington, who was huge for us last year. And then Justin Broyles, who was, I believe, our leading tackler on the team. Um, so I think those guys are pretty much the no-brainer starters. Um, you know, the, the, the freshmen will get their reps, but you know, let these guys have their let these guys have their twenty-two season. Any disagreements there? Hot takes? Zero hot takes on the defensive side. You're you're batting three for three. Three for three. Awesome. And then safety, um, Key Lawrence. And I actually see Jaden Rowe coming in and potentially starting at safety, depending on um, how many we have out there in the field, what unit we're, we're going with. But uh, Key Lawrence, for sure, that dude was a huge playmaker. A couple forced fumbles. Yeah, so, I see I see Key Lawrence being a big-time impact player. This season on defense, um, I think he's going to evolve into a natural leader out there. Um, and so I'm really excited, especially under this new coaching staff. He gets a little more development. Um, I'm really excited to see what he's able to do. Nice, nice. All right. And then um, that's pretty much it for the breakdown of what we think the 2022 roster is going to look like. If you all have any disagreements, any people that you think that we – that we left out, feel free to hit us up on Twitter. We do have a Twitter now. It Shit. is at the sooner, the better pod. So feel free to DM us with any questions you have, or if you have any disagreements, cause we'd love to talk about it on the next episode. And there's also a link um, to, to Jackson's only fans in the, yeah. in the bio. So just make sure to click that out. That's how we pay for this. Um, yep. We would like to be able to eat this week. Um, Jackson posts a lot of feet picks. Um, and it's just, it's, it's really, it's a good time. It's a fun time. Yep. And if so you have any special told. requests, um, like ASMR, you know, if you want me to you know, say your name all sexy, I'll do that too. I take special requests, um, always in my only fans DM. So be sure to check that out in the bio. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to, um, our last, our second to last segment. We're actually going to have, we're actually going to have one more, but second to last segment. Uh, we're going to do team MVPs. So we're going to have one offense and one defense, and I'm going to go through some honorable mentions that I had. So and you can feel free to Wait. do so at the end too. Did you say second to last? Second to last. Yeah, we're going to have one more segment at the end. It's just going to be a quick like. Um, did you did you did you bamboozle me? You're just springing this on me. Well, it's, it's going to be an easy one. It's a surprise segment. It's going to be really easy. Uh, it's not something you really have to be prepared for. You do have to be an OU fan to participate in it, which 
I'm hoping you are. I know you what? are. So. Yeah, I am. I just you, you sprung it on me. I'm I'm nervous we'll, now. I'm starting to sweat. We'll get there. We'll get there. So, all right. Team MVPs, offense. I went with Dylan Gabriel. Um, should be. He should be. Should um, be. But here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping he doesn't have to be. I'm hoping that our team MVP for offense is our offensive line. That's my hope. Because if our offensive line is the team MVP, then it means our skill guys don't have to do as much. They don't have to work as hard to get the job done. So wishful thinking. That is wishful offensive thinking. Line is our team MVP. Probably won't happen, but yep. we, we can hope. I think that is very wishful thinking. I don't think it will happen. Um, but I think Dylan Gabriel has the potential to have a very similar season to uh, Matt Corral this year. Um, hopefully without the getting hurt in the bowl game part. Hopefully we're not even in a New Year's Six Bowl. Hopefully we're playing for a national championship. Um, that is that is the goal. That is the hope. That might also be a little bit of wishful thinking. Yeah, that might be a little bit of wishful <laughs> thinking too. But, you know, Big 12 championship. That's the minimum. That's the minimum for me. But, yeah, I think it's going to be Dylan Gabriel. Um, I think this dude is going to have just a monster senior year getting to play with similar D1 talent to himself, especially with the receiving core that we're going to have. Uh, so I see it being a very, very solid year for him. Get his draft stock up. Another another OU, another OU legend we can be proud of at the quarterback position. And then for my defensive MVP – I picked Woody Washington. Um, he definitely wasn't the top performer on the defense last year, but as far as secondary players goes, this dude to me is our most elite one-on-one coverage guy. Like he, he hardly loses one-on-ones. He had 20 solo tackles, two passes deflected, two interceptions, um, and just a really, really good – one-on-one defender doesn't let receivers get a whole lot of separation, especially on those like deep fade routes, the, the, you know, the plays that OU has had a hard time defending historically. Um, And he he just doesn't really give up big plays. So I think this is going to be another really, really good year for him. His junior year is the one that's coming up. So I think he's going to be our defensive top performer. What do you think? Um, I'm going with key Lawrence. Uh, 28 solo tackles, 19 assists last year, three forced fumbles and a sack. Um, I, I look for him to have a big, big, big 2022. I think it's going to be huge. Huge. All right. Cool, cool. Um, I don't really have it. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to disagree with that. Um, Key Lawrence was huge for us this year. Definitely our most, I'd say our most physical secondary yep. player. I think he will fit in with a Brent Venable scheme and culture swimmingly. I think yep. he will come in there. Like I said, I think he – like you said, he was already the one of the toughest players that we had. I think he will be able to emerge as a leader in a hard-nosed, tough defensive football culture. Yep. And, him, and it, it just goes to show the lack of – physicality and the lack of physicality in that defense that we had just because obviously it was his first year transferring in from Tennessee. And in my opinion, he was the only guy we had that didn't hit like an absolute pansy. Yeah. So just goes to show he brought that over with him from Tennessee and definitely could see the contrast to what we were teaching our guys. 
All right. Um, so those are the team MVP picks. Again, if you guys have any disagreements, any thoughts, feel free to hit us up on the Twitter. Um, but moving on, I just had a few honorable mentions that I wanted to go over, guys that I think, you know, aren't going to necessarily be t- team MVP level guys, but that I think are going to have really solid years and be huge contributors. Number one, Jalen Redman. Last year, 11 solo tackles, three and a half sacks. Had that scoop and score against Iowa State, which was just fucking awesome. When you see a 290-pound guy <laughs> just charging down the field with the ball to go score a touchdown, um, that's just such a cool, cool thing to see. Uh, I think they're, I think they're going to build him to be Perry on number two, just be a big physical tackle that can break up the offensive line, win his one-on-ones. Uh, and put a lot of pressure on the quarterback. So I think he's just coming in to be his replacement. Yeah. Yeah, I think he'll be he'll be very good. He'll be a solid leader for that defensive line next year. And um, like you said, I mean, 11 solo tackles, three and a half sacks, two fumble recoveries. Um, so he was active. I think he'll be considerably more active this year. Yep. Yep. And then uh, my next honorable mention is Drake Stoops. Son of Bob Stoops. 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 Yeah, man. He's he's just such a fun player to watch. Everybody gets hyped up anytime he does anything on the field. But really, what impresses me the most is not the flashies. I mean, last year, 16 catches, 191 yards, two tutties. For a non-starting slot receiver, um, those are pretty solid numbers. But what this dude does really, really well is for his size, he is an amazing upfield blocker he run blocks so well blocks really well on the wide receiver screens and he's just a team guy like he goes out there and does whatever he needs to do to get the next play made get the first down get the touchdown so um i'm i'll be honest with the new uh with the new like player license jerseys coming out i'm probably going to get me a drake stoops jersey i really think i am respect um hot take First hot take of the day. We need to come up with some sort of sound effect for a hot take, like maybe some sizzle or like a, like a, like a. Yeah, you know I mean? for sure. Something yeah. like that. Hot take. Drake Stoops will end up going and playing for Bill Belichick, the New England Patriots. Tell me he is not a New England Patriots slot receiver prototype. He he does have the build. He he's got he's got everything Bill Belichick looks for in small. He's tough. He he yeah. catches, he holds on to the ball. Um, he blocks well. He's a he's a team guy. He's very like that. He's he's the prototypical Bill Belichick slot receiver. Yeah, I mean he he makes like some extremely difficult catches, and it, it's hard for people to appreciate. But like he makes some really really tough catches like that the one that he had in the alamo bowl the big the big diving touchdown at the front of the end zone and he goes and bob's patting him on the helmet grown man cry i think i think when he came in a lot of us and i i was probably guilty of it i thought he's just on the team because he's bob stoops son you know like yeah like like jackson sumlin no offense to jackson sumlin but yeah, how good is yeah. he going to be? Is he really going to be a contributor? But the dude actually can ball. Like, he contributes. He, he's a solid, solid receiver. So, I'm, I'm a huge Stoops fan. You got to love him. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, he's awesome. And then uh, my second honorable mention, also a dude that catches the catches the pig skin, Braden Willis. Um, 
15 catches last year, 177 yards, two touchdowns. But he he's the best he's the best upfield blocker on the team. He, he's the best run blocker. Um, just does everything you need him to do. Um, can play from any spot you need a tight end or a fullback to play from. Physical blocker makes really really tough catches. Had that legendary catch in the Bedlam game. Uh, yeah. Back corner of the end zone goes up, mosses the guy, gets both feet in, and he really didn't even play that much last year. So him having a full year, you know, twelve starts, I think he has the potential to have, you know, a breakout season, maybe be one of the best tight ends in the country, and uh, you know, hopefully go and play at the next level. And I just love the fact that he decided to come back because he could have left this year, he could have gone on to do other things. And, you know, decided to stay playing under the new regime. So it's going to be really, really cool to have a veteran like this. I think probably part of the reason why was because of the exposure that he will get from the, I think we'll see, he'll see a huge uptick in touches this year, especially under this new offensive scheme. Um, I Mm -hmm. think he'll be utilized a bit more that one of my, one of my problems with Lincoln Riley, I felt like tight ends were underutilized. Um, especially in the, in the, in the past couple of years, but, um, I, I think he'll, I think. Yeah. Very in that player there. on offense. And I think yeah. he'll up his, his draft stock as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a- after Mark Andrews, it was one of those things where our using tar- like tight ends is like, you know, primary, primary targets and like primary route runners kind of, kind of went away. Um, Austin Stagner was underutilized. Braden Willis yep. was underutilized. So definitely agree there. All right. So final segment, a surprise for you. Um, I want to start adding in like listener submitted questions, but obviously we just released episode one last time. So I didn't have a chance to mention it at the end of the episode. So I came up with a question. It's a very easy one. Your favorite Oklahoma football memory. Oh, man. All right, are you, you going to go first? Uh, yeah, I can go first. So mine is, without a doubt, the 2017 game against Ohio State. Oh, that Not necessarily one. the game itself, but the flag plant at the end of the game. Just as revenge for the year before when they kicked our teeth in, they stood on our field – sang their fight song. So Baker Baker Mayfield, everybody knows. He's not the kind of guy that takes shit. So next year we go into their house, whoop their ass at Buckeye Stadium. He gets that flag, runs it down, makes sure all the Ohio State fans can see it, swings it around, plants it right in the middle of the Buckeye O. And it was just one of the most hype moments of all time. And, like, bro, I have to say this because a lot of people don't understand other college football teams and their fan bases fucking hated Baker Mayfield because they saw him as a heel to, to OU, me at least, he was like a messiah. Like, I have oh, yeah. never had – I've never seen a more exciting – like, even Joe Burrow to me wasn't as exciting as Baker Mayfield. Like, that dude played with so yeah. much intensity, had so many amazing moments, and, like, people are talking about, like, oh – what should the intro to the to the new uh, new NCAA game be? And it's all these like clips of Joe Burrow and like Tua, and it's like no, it should be Baker Mayfield fucking running that flag around the stadium, 
and planting it in the middle of Buckeye Stadium. Uh, and hey. I would I would honestly include include the the crotch grab too. <laughs> I, I yeah. love that moment. Everybody hit it. I love that. No, Baker Baker was an intense competitor. It makes me it makes me sad because he was my favorite college player. Um, and, and probably still is historically my favorite college player because that that season was electric. Um, yep. I mean, I remember, and I believe my memory doesn't serve me so well anymore. But that was a season where our our only loss until the playoffs was to Iowa State, and yep. that yeah, that was heartbreaking. Um, and then obviously the, the loss to Georgia in the playoffs was absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah, but we were the better team. We were Lincoln Riley went conservative late and it it screwed us. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, Yeah. We love Baker. Baker was. There will, there will never be another, there will never be another Baker Mayfield in college, not even just at OU in college football. I've never seen another more competitive person. Yeah, he was. And he was, he wasn't cocky like Johnny Manziel. Like it was, he didn't come from like a, place where it was like oh like you could tell he had like a chip on his shoulder because he was privileged and everything had been so easy for him he had a, he had a fight to get on that OU team and he had a fight to get that starting job yep. and he had this chip on the on his shoulder like um I mean very much so like like a like a fighter like a boxer like yeah. where he was just like I'm 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 in here I built this out of nothing like I'm gonna come for your throat and I yep. don't care if people don't like me because my people love me. Yeah. And he wasn't a pushover like most quarterbacks. He he didn't need his O line to come run up and protect him. If you if you said something to him, he was gonna let you hear right back. And that's yeah. that's that's one of the things I loved about him. Um so my favorite moment, I gotta say, just as far as pure ecstatic like disbelief has gotta be this past Red River rivalry game. I mean that yeah. was it was – I've never experienced a comeback like that where you go through all those emotions where you just feel – honestly, it was the opposite of that Baker playoff game against Georgia where we were elated at the beginning and we were just absolutely on fire and we were crushing them. And it was like the highest high and then we just got brought down the last second. That game mm-hmm. was the exact opposite. The whole game was just an ass beating, just the worst ass – emotional ass yep. beating. And then it just slowly started to build after halftime. Caleb came in and just amazing play after amazing play. And then it came down to the wire and we fucking won it. Like that yep. was that was the coolest moment that I've ever experienced as an OU fan, just jumping around, celebrating. We were all at the house watching it and we were all just going nuts. Yep. And I can yeah. I can I can tell you this. I that I Man, I can't even put it into words how I felt during that game. Just when when Caleb Kelly came up with that, stole the ball (laughs) with that. Yeah, with that with that strip strip and scoop for a touchdown after we had just driven the field twice to tie the game, and it was just it was just such a cool cool game to watch. And it was one of those things like even you can attest to it. I one hundred percent never lost faith in that team. Like I I did not think we were going to lose that game. The entire time, as soon as Caleb Williams came in, um, had we kept Spencer Rattler in, I would have had my doubts. But once Caleb Williams came in, you kind of saw that momentum shift, and it was just super, super. Everybody was making plays. Um, Jeremiah Hall gets that, you know, like sixty-yard catch, catch and run on the left side of the field, and just trucks somebody. It was just, 
a lot of a lot of cool moments in that game. But I, I for sure, I for sure, so definitely best Red River rivalry. Not even close. Not even yeah. close. Um, but yeah, that'll do it for episode two. Don't really have anything else to talk about. So any any other any other final statements to the listeners? Um, drink your prune, drink your prune your prune juice. I don't know why I had such a hard time saying that word prune. Yep. Drink your prune juice. Prune juice. Eat your vegetables. We'll see y'all back for episode three, same time next Saturday. And uh, see y'all later. Boomer Sooner. Hiya.